0: You are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR news headlines, we'll have the California report from KQED Public Radio and a roundup of local weather and news. Then, Felton Pruitt gets the scoop on the latest news from downtown Grass Valley from Marnie Marshall. Also coming up, Claudio Mendoza talks to Diana Gamzon of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance and Craig Griesbach of the county's Office of Cannabis Compliance. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Capitol is ramping up security as a result of a threat from an unidentified militia group. NPR's Claudio Grisala says the House has put floor activity on pause in light of the concerns, but the Senate is remaining in session for now.
0: The acting House Sergeant-at-Arms told lawmakers that the unidentified groups may be planning to demonstrate near the Capitol starting on Thursday. In a memo to congressional members, Timothy Blodgett says the protests are related to an unfounded conspiracy theory that former President Trump, could return to office on March 4th. He said he continues to work with Capitol Police and other agencies to ensure that law enforcement will be prepared if there is any violence. Additional officers are posted throughout the Capitol grounds, and the National Guard continues to maintain its presence along a new fenced-in perimeter. Claudia Grisales, NPR News, the Capitol.
1: Even with more people being vaccinated against COVID-19, the message from administration officials is masks still matter. President Biden hammered home that message today, calling some states' decisions to do away with face mask mandates Neanderthal thinking. That message was echoed by CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who said the same thing in an interview with NPR's All Things Considered.
0: The CDC squarely uh, recommends routine masking, routine social distancing right now, right at where, as we're at this nexus, this critical time, this tenuous point. So it, it squarely does not fit within the guidance that we are recommending.
1: Walensky said we are all exhausted, but says with new strains of the virus emerging, progress made so far is being threatened. More than 519,000 people in the U.S. have now died of COVID-19, the disease caused by the virus. The death of Brianna Taylor in Kentucky last year put a spotlight on how police serve search warrants. NPR's Cheryl Corley reports that today, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot proposed changes to the city's search warrant policy as a result of an earlier botched raid that she says was a clarion call for reform.
2: A video of the incident in February 2019 shows police conducting a raid in the home of a black female social worker. She is crying, naked and handcuffed, as she repeatedly tells police they are in the wrong place. Chicago's proposed new search warrant policy would require police to take several steps to verify information and, for the most part, it bans so-called no-knock warrants. Mayor Lori Lightfoot says the proposed changes make clear for officers that no matter the circumstances...
3: That person and anyone found within the location must be treated with dignity
0: and respect,
2: period. Lightfoot, who was not mayor of Chicago at the time of the raid, says the search warrant changes are needed to build trust between police and residents. Cheryl Corley, NPR News, Chicago.
1: Stocks lost ground today. The Dow was down 121 points. The Nasdaq fell 361 points. This is NPR. The regional office of the World Health Organization is warning hospitals in the Amazon region are being overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. NPR's Jason Bobin reports while cases have been declining in recent weeks in many parts of the Americas, they continue to rise in the remote Amazon basin.
4: The head of the Pan American Health Organization, Carissa Etienne, says that the number of severely ill COVID patients in Peru's northeastern Loreto state has pushed the local health care system to its limit.
2: Every ICU bed is occupied by a COVID patient.
4: Things are equally bad across the border in the Colombian state of Amazonas. And in the Brazilian Amazon, a new COVID variant called P1 is being detected even in people who'd previously had the virus. Etienne says the state of Acre faces a deadly combination of COVID, flooding, and a dengue outbreak.
2: And the health system risks collapsing as more and more patients require hospitalization.
4: And hospitals in other parts of Brazil are also filling up with COVID patients. Jason Bobian, NPR News. The Bed Bath & Beyond chain
1: says it is retooling its stores and revitalizing some of its brands in an effort to appeal to a younger demographic. The New Jersey-based retail chain says it plans to unveil at least eight new store brands this fiscal year. The company also says it will launch thousands of new products available only through the retailer as it looks to capture a bigger slice of the $180 billion home products market. Crude futures prices fell today or moved higher today rather oil up a dollar and 53 cents a barrel and the session at 61.28 a barrel in New York I'm Jack Spear NPR News
5: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Investigations are underway after a horrendous crash killed 13 people about 10 miles north of the U.S.-Mexico border yesterday. There were 25 people in an SUV which collided with a gravel-hauling big rig in the Imperial County town of Holtville. We spoke with reporter Faith Pino, who's covering the story for the LA Times.
6: We are still kind of gathering all the details about this, but it sounds like these 25 people were crammed into the SUV. There were only two seats actually in the vehicle. It was a 1997 Ford Expedition, which typically carries up to eight people, but this vehicle only had the driver's seat and the passenger seat, and all of the other chairs were taken out to fit all the other people inside. There have been no confirmations that any of the people in the SUV were either farm workers or crossing the border necessarily. However, several of the people in the SUV were Mexican nationals. This is confirmed by the Mexican consulate.
5: That was Faith Pino with LA Times. The National Transportation Safety Board will join the California Highway Patrol in investigating the accident. Meanwhile, volunteers around Southern California are stepping up to help seniors and other eligible people find coveted COVID-19 vaccination appointments. KPCC reporter Carla Javier spoke with one of them.
7: By day, Candace Kim works as a project director focused on the effects of global trade. Well, by night, I've become a volunteer vaccine navigator. It all started when she helped her parents, who aren't too tech-savvy and who speak Korean, navigate the appointment systems, which are largely online and in English or Spanish. She developed a process, check the state's appointment system, then the counties and the cities, then nearby clinics and pharmacies, repeat and repeat, and eventually... It worked. She got her parents' appointments. And then she thought, well, they live in a senior apartment building of a lot of people just like them. Why don't I continue helping people? And she's not alone. There are other volunteer vaccine navigators like her, and they see the barriers firsthand language, access to internet, and the time to check all the different pages over and over again. Her advice keep trying. She says you should also remember to ask yourself. If you're going to a community that has almost no resources, are you taking away resources from that community? And reach out to your vulnerable neighbors to see if they need help too. For the California Report, I'm Carla Javier in Los Angeles.
8: Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to
5: advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Seven California counties, including San Francisco, have moved to a less restrictive coronavirus tier that means restaurants and movie theaters can reopen for indoor service but at a reduced capacity many business owners are celebrating the move but some remain wary about reopening too quickly one of them is yuka iroy who co-owns san francisco's cassava restaurant with her husband iroy told me she's going to err on the side of caution and wait before welcoming customers back for indoor dining
3: Give them the case numbers I feel that it's still a little bit risky, but we we like the, the downward trend, but I think it's still premature to open indoor, especially when Dr. Fauci is saying that it is premature.
5: So have you and your husband decided to just stay closed for indoor dining until you're comfortable reopening?
3: Yes. So we're actually... Not even open for outdoor dining yet. Um, we're quite concerned about the new variant. So currently we're only open for takeouts, although outside dining is allowed in San Francisco. And we are waiting for our staff to fully get vaccinated and then open dining service for outside and indoor dining. We will still be cautious and, and see, you know, when we feel it's right for us
5: and what about your employees are they all aboard the decision to keep the restaurant closed at least for the time being
3: all of our staff agreed to that so they're on board with the decision that let's wait on you know dining service till you know that everybody that's comfortable getting vaccines is finished so it was more of a like entire team decision and then all of our staff is you know getting sick pay when they're not working I've raised their hourly rate from $17, which is a minimum wage in San Francisco, to $20 right now. And because they are getting a lot less than before, you know, they're getting unemployment assistance as well on the basis of a reduced income. So everybody is financially, you know, yes, we are struggling, but not on the verge of coming homeless or anything like that. But then if we harm our health, that that could be like, lifelong or, like, lasting effect, I don't think I can forgive myself for making that decision.
5: Could you change your mind? I mean, if you see restaurants around you reopening and things seem pretty safe, would you reconsider your own timeline to reopen?
3: We're going to stick to the plan. So we're going to wait for the vaccines to be finished, and most of us are going to be finished before end of a March. And then, you know, we should wait for, like, two weeks or so to settle in. So we're thinking that our, you know, the one we're going to open outside dining is probably like early to mid-April. Everybody's on board with that. All right.
5: Yuka Iroi of Cassava Restaurant in San Francisco. I really wish you and your staff all the best as you navigate reopening. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Saul. Meanwhile, in Southern California, both Los Angeles and Orange counties appear to be on the brink of moving to that less restrictive tier as well. Here's L.A. County Health Officer Dr. Muntu Davis speaking about the county's adjusted daily rate of new COVID-19 infections at a vaccine town hall last night.
2: Our case numbers have continued to fall. We expect that next week we may be at seven uh, and then we have to hold that for two weeks before we can uh, consider anything less restrictive and move to the red tier. Uh, so we're hoping that it's it's coming soon in order to have some uh, modifications.
5: In Orange County, health officials say they could move to the less restrictive tier by St. Patrick's Day, that's March 17th. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, March 3rd, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day.
0: In the regional weather forecast for Nevada City and Grass Valley, mainly clear tonight with an overnight low of 43 degrees. Sunny Thursday with a high of 61 degrees and a low in the mid 40s. Our next chance of precipitation is for late Friday night. On Monday, a more significant storm is in the forecast with several days of rain and possible snow showers with low temperatures in the 30s. In Truckee, clearing overnight with a low of 20 degrees. Sunny Thursday in Truckee with a high of 49 degrees and a low of 28 In Sacramento, clear tonight with an overnight low of 41 degrees. Sunny in Sacramento Thursday with a high of 68 degrees and a low of 41. Dr. Scott Kellerman, Nevada County's public health officer, said on a Zoom call with local media outlets today that almost 25,000 county residents have been given at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine with almost no side effects. There are various sources for vaccines for eligible county residents, including the Whispering Pines Clinic in Grass Valley. The Whispering Pines Clinic is completing about 120 vaccinations a day, and Dr. Kellerman said he expects that number to double next week. On the same call, Ryan Groover, County Director of Health and Human Services, said that continued vaccinations will help the county get out of the restrictive purple or widespread tier and move toward reopening. I
8: will say that the more and more people that get vaccinated, the more we can continue to be vigilant until our cases really start to decline, the quicker we can get businesses back to normal. And I think we were all disappointed with the numbers yesterday. Um, I wouldn't read too much into one week's worth of data. As a small county, we can jump around a little bit. So I'm very hopeful that next week we'll see some continued improvement. But but until then, I think it it behooves all of us to continue to be vigilant because we're not anywhere near the percentage of vaccinations or vaccinated people that would allow us to have herd immunity.
0: Although the County Health Department reported eight new confirmed COVID 19 cases late Tuesday for a total of 49 active cases, the county once again took a step backward in its COVID 19 risk metrics after showing steady progress the previous three weeks. After the county's test positivity rate fell low enough to meet criteria for the orange or moderate tier last week at 3.5%, it went back up to 5.5% in the current week falling within the red or substantial tier. The county case rate remained about the same as the previous week at about 11.3 new cases a day, the same as the previous week and still within the purple tier. To move down to a less restrictive tier, both the county's case rate and positivity rate must meet eligibility for the red tier for two weeks. That means a positivity rate of 8% or less and seven new cases a day or fewer. Once in the red tier, businesses like gyms, movie theaters, and restaurants can reopen indoor operations with limited capacity. Nevertheless, some indoor restaurants and gyms are operating in Nevada County despite its place in the purple tier. El Dorado County was one of seven counties statewide that moved into the red tier this week. Placer County also had the statistics to qualify for the red tier and will be able to reopen further next week if its numbers hold up for a second consecutive week. Beginning March 15th and continuing for the next 12 months, Nevada County will begin work on something known as the Egress Ingress Fire Safety Project. The goal is to remove hazardous fuels along both sides of 200 miles of county maintained roads. Work will be completed by county road crews and contractors. The list of roads that will be part of the project, as well as additional details, is available at mynevadacounty.com slash fire safety roads project. Reducing the fuels along major roads in the county is expected to improve the safety of residents and visitors, lead to lower fire suppression costs, and less greenhouse gas emissions. The selected roads are in high-density neighborhoods that have a particularly high fuel hazard. The work is expected to cause traffic delays. Next up, Felton Pruitt talks to Marnie Marshall for the Downtown Grass Valley Report.
2: It's time for the Grass Valley Downtown Association Report with Marnie Marshall. Howdy, Marnie. What's the latest in Grass Valley?
6: Howdy. Things are open. It's beautiful down here. Yeah, we've got some new stuff coming up. Just mark your calendars for next Saturday on March 13th because we're going to do our second Saturdays, and that's happening every month. And we're going to have an art walk between 10 and 4. There will be some people signing up for that. And then got some other stuff going on this weekend grass valley courtyard suites has an art reception and it's a virtual art reception but you can go by there in person and look at the artwork in their gallery so just wanted to let people know about that center for the arts has a family fun day on saturday that's at 10 a.m and that's virtual and then we've got the Holbrook is doing some new stuff they're doing breakfast and brunch and dinner and they have outdoor dining on the back side as well as the front side.
2: That's great because, you know, we're, we've been waiting for the National to get reopened here in Nevada City, but it's nice to have our other historic hotel up and operating right now.
6: Absolutely. That side of our street is being fueled by the people that are staying. And it's it's been sorely missed. And we're very, very happy for the huge investment they've made In both of our cities, these historic buildings will be around for hundreds of more years because of it. So if you haven't seen it, you should come by. You can walk through the lobby. You can make a reservation to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And we can't wait for the National to be open for you. Anything else you got for us? Stay tuned to Downtown Grass Valley at our website, downtowngrassvalley.com. You can give us a call in the office anytime and leave a message, and we'll get right back at 530-272-8315.
2: And I guess we should mention about summer times, too, which is where you can go get your COVID test.
6: Yes, that is in Grass Valley, and you should definitely check out MyNevadaCounty.com, where they have updates about vaccines, where to get them, where to sign up for alerts. And if you don't have access to the internet, and you do have access to the phone, you can call 211. It's a resource center. They're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they can answer questions about anything that's happening. They will find the answer.
2: All right, very good. We've been talking with Marnie Marshall from the Grass Valley Downtown Association. Thanks for all the information.
0: Thank you. Coming up next, Claudio Mendoza has a report about the evolving partnership between Nevada County Cannabis Growers and the County Office of Cannabis Compliance. A virtual event on Thursday seeks the community's input on how to make cannabis businesses more equitable and sustainable.
2: The Nevada County Board of Supervisors met on the 23rd of last month to adopt their 2021 board objectives. Cannabis continues to be a priority for Nevada County, and continuing to improve the permitting process and enforcement program, was listed as an objective. I recently had the opportunity to talk with Diana Gamzon, the Executive Director of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, and Craig Griesbach, Director of the County's Building Code and Cannabis Compliance Department, about it. Craig, can you explain what happened at the last Board of Supervisors meeting?
8: Board of Supervisors every year creates a list of objectives, basically the things that Are priorities and important to them every year. And the 2021 objective there was one for cannabis, was really to maintain and continue to improve the cannabis permitting enforcement program, to promote permitted cannabis activities while investigating options for additional license types related to larger cultivation and micro businesses. And this really speaks to continuous process improvement to the program um, for commercial cannabis, as well as looking at ways how we can uh, survive and evolve as this industry moves forward.
2: And I understand there's a virtual event tomorrow, March 4th, right? Good to Grow. Can you tell me a bit about that?
8: So the Good to Grow um, listening session is what we're calling it. is related to the Cannabis Equity Program.
2: And what is Cannabis Equity?
8: So the Equity Program, and I can speak on this as well, is really a program that is going to support the cannabis industry. So over the last year or so, we've been partnering with Humboldt State University to complete a Cannabis Equity Assessment. And a program um, brochure, basically putting this, uh, building this program that we're going to want to implement in this next year. So the equity program and the equity assessment is really talking to the criminalization of cannabis in the past and the effects it has on the community at large here locally. So how how has this provided barriers to entry into the legal market for people that have been legacy farmers um, up on the ridge or really anywhere in the county? Um, what assistance do they need to make that step into the legal market. So what we're looking for at the event that's on March 4th from five to six and hosted by Ubinet is really feedback on that. What does our community want? What does our community need? Where if we have resources and grant grant funding available, where do we spend that? Where do we spend our time? Is that business assistance? Is that assistance getting permitted and paying for fees? Really anything around um, that realm. And all that information on the cannabis equity program listening session is on uh, goodtogrownevadacounty.org. So anyone anyone wanting to sign up or register, or find out more information for that, they would go to goodtogrownevadacounty.org.
4: Yeah, it, this is a really impactful program for our community. Um, our equity program here in r- rural parts of the, the state are going to look very different than equity programs look like in more of the urban areas. So in Nevada County, what has started to emerge is uh, is um, looking at how women have been impacted by um, prohibition in the industry, how our low-income seniors or those that paved the way, the, the legacy operators, how they've been impacted by prohibition, legacy small farmers or our in Nevada county, we have such a, a rich um, amount of medicine makers who really paved the way for this, this industry to emerge in Nevada county. And so um, this program uh, really helps to get, not just give back, but to help usher those people in and try to help those people transition into the legal market um, and to um, meet the gaps where they may be facing barriers. So exactly business skills trainings or grants or loans or tiered tiered fee structures. It's, it's sort of, we're in the exciting phase right now where we can work together. And I'm so grateful for the county for putting together this Good to Grow um, workshop so that we can really discuss as a community what makes the most sense, what will benefit our community members the most. So it's really important that people um, pay attention and, and not just that, that they participate.
2: So the Good to Grow event tomorrow is about cannabis equity and the intention is to gather input from the community. Correct. And Craig, as far as that study that you mentioned, are there any findings that you can share?
8: So we are we're working on finalizing that right now, and this is we're not going to finalize it until we get feedback um, from the community, and that's what really what we're looking for is to fine tune that based on those findings specific to the investigations that they did throughout this last year. Um, investigations is probably the wrong word, but it really interviews. They did a ton of interviews with stakeholders and people affected by cannabis program, grant cannabis prohibition, um, really to draft, uh, that assessment in the program for sure. So yes, it's, we've been disclosing the draft assessment to the stakeholders we've reached out to. Um, we're going to discuss that not quite in depth. But we're going to discuss the highlights of it during the listening session and the introduction of that, um, on the 4th.
2: And Diana, how can, how can people get involved
4: yeah, it's really important that people pay attention to this issue and participate. There is There are links um, on the county social media sites, on the county website, goodtogrownevadacounty.com.org, um, on the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, in our social medias, in our newsletter. Um, so it's a simple registration, but um, definitely encouraging people to really take this opportunity seriously to, to lend your voice on how we can implement a program here that really is designed for those most in need.
8: And even if participants can't attend the listening session on the 4th, we have a survey that's on our good to grow Nevada county.org website that they can take. It's a short six, seven question survey that provides some input um, and it's confidential. So we will not know who, who that is. So it feels safe. Yeah, a lot of this information is on our website, is on that goodtogrownevadacounty.org website, um, on Instagram, on several other social media sites.
2: That was Diana Gamzon, the Executive Director of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, and Craig Griesbach, Director of the County's Building Code and Cannabis Compliance Department. Tomorrow, March 4th, from 5 to 6 p.m., county staff will partner with Ubinet.com to host a virtual event to discuss a cannabis equity program. Guests are invited to consider questions regarding specific ways to help more people to become permitted and to help with business sustainability. Participants can register at bit.ly slash gtgequity. Questions and comments may be submitted prior to the meeting by emailing townhall at there's also an opportunity to share feedback on the equity program via a confidential survey, and that's at bit.ly gtgequitysurvey.
0: That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new edition of The Sages Among Us. Host Lori Burkhart frank is scheduled to interview Andrew Trigg, public information officer for the Nevada County Sheriff's Office. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR in Nevada City. Your opinion is valuable to us, so don't forget to fill out our listener survey. You can find it online at kvmr.org survey. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. If you have an opinion you'd like to share, we invite you to submit a commentary to news at kvmr.org. Commentary guidelines can be found at kvmr.org under the News section.